I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig with details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey guys! The show's currently on break until the new year, but we've got plenty of classic episodes to tide you over. Enjoy this trip through the show's own history, and I'll see you back here on January 2nd with a batch of brand new episodes. See you then! Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson, and it's December 21st. A bomb exploded aboard Pan Am Flight 103 on this day in 1988 over the town of Lockerbie, Scotland. This was a Boeing 747 that had taken off from London 38 minutes before, and it was bound for New York. All 259 people aboard the aircraft were killed, as were 11 people on the ground as the wreckage from the plane crashed into houses and streets in Lockerbie. The victims aboard the aircraft included 35 students who were studying abroad through Syracuse University, as well as people from numerous other nations. The following day, authorities announced that it appeared that the explosion may have been an act of sabotage, not some kind of an accident. Authorities also released a warning that day known as the Helsinki Warning. This was an anonymous phone call to the U.S. Embassy in Helsinki, Finland, and the phone call had said that a terrorist organization may be using an unsuspecting passenger to smuggle a bomb onto a Pan Am flight. Although there were uncanny similarities between this warning and the bombing of Flight 103, it was determined that they were unrelated. Although people were outraged when they learned that this warning had existed and they had known nothing about it. Soon it was announced that there had been a bomb in the airplane's forward luggage compartment. The bomb was hidden in a tape recorder and placed in an unaccompanied bag in Malta that had been transferred to a Pan Am flight to London after landing in Germany and then from there onto a flight bound for New York. Two suspects emerged. Abdel Basset Ali Mohammed Al-Magrahi and Al-Amin Khalifa Fima, both of them of Libya, They were indicted on November 13th of 1991. 
They worked for Libyan Arab Airlines, and they were also accused of being Libyan intelligence agents. At first, though, Libya refused to extradite them to Scotland to stand trial, and this led the United Nations to impose sanctions on Libya. Libyan leader Muammar Gaddafi also wanted the trial to take place in a neutral country. So part of an airbase outside of Amsterdam was declared Scottish territory, so the trial could be held under Scottish law. It was only after this was agreed to that Libya finally agreed on December 16, 1988, to turn the suspects over. This was more than seven years after the indictment. And then it was April of the following year by the time the suspects were actually handed over to UN authorities to stand trial. The trial began on May 3rd, 2000, and there were three judges with a fourth as a reserve. After hearing eight months of testimony from 232 witnesses, they issued their verdict on January 31st of 2001. Al-Megrahi was found guilty, and FEMA was found not guilty. Al-Megrahi appealed, but that appeal failed, and eight years later, he received a compassionate release when he was diagnosed with terminal prostate cancer. He died in 2012, a little less than three years after that release. In 2003, Libya took formal responsibility for this bombing after years of insisting that Libya as a nation was not involved, although Gaddafi himself did not take personal responsibility for it. Gaddafi did agree to a $2.7 billion settlement to be paid to the families of those who were killed. Other suspects were announced to exist in 2015, and there continue to be a lot of hypotheses about this bombing, about who was involved, whether it was some kind of multinational conspiracy, but no one else has ever been convicted. It is certain that there were other people involved. In response to the bombing, there was increased airport security all over the world. The FAA also fined Pan Am due to security breaches that had happened on the day of the bombing. Thanks to Eves Jeffcoat for her research work on today's show and to Casey Pegram and Chandler Mays for their audio work on this show. You can subscribe to This Day in History class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, and wherever else you get your podcasts. You can tune in tomorrow for an infamous and wrongful conviction. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Hey everyone, I'm Eves, and welcome back to This Day in History class, a podcast where we unwrap a piece of history candy every day. The day was December 21st, 1826. After declaring independence from Mexico, brothers Hayden and Benjamin Edwards and their rebel followers proclaimed the Republic of Fredonia and signed a Declaration of Independence. The revolt was short-lived. A month after it began, the rebels fled to the United States as Mexican military forces advanced. Mexico gained independence from Spain in 1821, creating the first Mexican empire. Two years later, the emperor abdicated the throne, and in 1824, Mexico adopted a Republican constitution. One issue Mexico faced was figuring out how to increase population in the northern department of Texas and secure the area from Native Americans and other Americans seeking land. In August of 1824, the Mexican government passed a national colonization law that set some guidelines for people immigrating into Mexico. Each Mexican state was directed to create its own statutes around the general colonization law. One of the states of the new federal republic was Coahuila y Tejas, which set up a system where, among other regulations regarding immigration, impresarios could petition the government to bring 100 or more families to the state at their expense. An impresario was a person who entered into a contract with the Mexican government to bring a certain number of families to Texas in exchange for land grants. In 1825, land speculator Hayden Edwards got a grant from the Mexican government to bring up to 800 new families to the area around Nacogdoches in eastern Texas. His contract required him to uphold all land grants in the area that had been certified by the Spanish and Mexican governments. It also required that he set up a militia to protect the colonists and that he allow a land commissioner appointed by the government to certify awarded deeds. But when he got to Nacogdoches, he demanded that previous landowners would have to present evidence of their land claims or forfeit the land. Of course, this was a controversial move. Many of the people in the area had families who'd lived there for decades, so their legal titles were lost. Some people who lived there were former residents of the Neutral Ground, an area to the east inhabited by many fugitives. Some were Native Americans who had history there before Spanish colonization, or those who had been forced out of the U.S. There were squatters there, and there were many Anglo-Americans in the area, some who had come as filibusters. All that to say, residents were not happy with Edwards' demands. He began recruiting families in the U.S. for immigration into Nacogdoches. The alcalde, or chief administrative and judicial officer of Nacogdoches, as well as the town clerk, worked to validate old land titles once they found out Edwards got his grant. Edwards accused them of forging land titles to his detriment, and soon Edwards was calling for elections for a new alcalde, even though he wasn't officially allowed to do so. 
Either way, Edward's son-in-law, Chichester Chaplin, took the office after a disputed election. But supporters of Chaplin's opponent, Samuel Norris, contested the decision. And in March of 1826, Jose Antonio Saucedo, the political chief of Texas in Bexar, reversed the results of the election on the claim that illegal votes had been cast for Chaplin. Norris became alcalde. This did not sit well with Edwards and his supporters, and related and unrelated conflicts continued in Nacogdoches throughout 1826. Hayden's brother Benjamin was left in charge of the town, while Hayden went to the U.S. to recruit more families. And during this time, tensions between old and new residents escalated. By the end of September, Hayden's grant was revoked. This annulment was on the basis of him declaring himself military commander, forcing people to show their land titles or be evicted, and other wrongdoings. Hayden and Benjamin were ordered to leave Mexico, but they resisted the order. In November, a group of around 40 men from the Ayesh Bayou entered Nacogdoches and arrested Samuel Norris, Hayden Edwards, and others. Hayden was released, possibly because he was arrested to hide his own involvement in the affair. But the others were tried and convicted. Mexican authorities soon sent dragoons and infantrymen to the area. The Edwards prepared to fight. They determined that they would have to break from Mexico to protect their land investment. On December 16th, Benjamin rode into Nacogdoches with a group of armed men and seized the old stone fort. The rebels raised a red and white flag that said, Independence, Liberty, and Justice. The red represented the Cherokee and the white, the white rebels. Hayden declared himself commander-in-chief of the Republic of Fredonia, and Martin Palmer became commander of the military. Many others joined the rebellion. Palmer negotiated a treaty with the Cherokee for mutual support, and the rebels signed a declaration of independence on December 21st. But the rebellion didn't go anywhere. The rebels didn't get much help from the Cherokee, and the Texian militia and Mexican troops forced the rebels to flee toward the Sabine River and into Louisiana. The rebellion was over by the end of January, but it increased the Mexican government's wariness of immigration from the U.S., and it caused more tension between white colonists and indigenous tribes. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. Feel free to share your thoughts or your innermost feelings with us and with other listeners on social media at Podcast. And you can send your thoughts or comments to us at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks for listening to today's episode. We'll see you again tomorrow. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. 
Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Hello, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show for those who can never know enough about history. I'm Gabe Lussier, and in this episode, we're looking at an unusual wartime experiment in animation, one that explored the unique traditions and cultures of Latin America through the eyes of Donald Duck. The day was December 21st, 1944. Walt Disney's seventh animated feature, The Three Caballeros, had its world premiere in Mexico City. The 71-minute film was directed by Norm Ferguson and was released to theaters in the United States on February 3, 1945. It has the distinction of being one of the earliest feature-length films to combine animation with live actors, as well as being one of the strangest, most experimental movies that Disney ever made. For the uninitiated, the characters who make up the title trio are Donald Duck, Jose Carioca, and Panchito Pistolis. You're likely familiar with Donald, who was celebrating his 10th birthday the year of the film's release. As for Jose Carioca, He's a green Brazilian parrot and an old pal of Donald. He made his screen debut two years earlier in Saludos Amigos, another Disney movie centered on South America. Jose is basically the opposite of his clumsy, quick-tempered friend. He's clever, stylish, and loves to dance the samba. The last and probably least known caballero is Panchito Pistolis, an energetic rooster from Mexico. His role largely consisted of playing guitar and firing his twin pistols into the air with reckless abandon. Panchito's trigger-happy depiction played into stereotypes about Mexican bandits, but the character only fired his guns in celebration and was just as friendly and fun-loving as his unarmed companions. When the three friends finally get together more than halfway through the movie, they declare themselves the Three Caballeros and even sing a song to help get the point across. We're three happy chappies with snappy serapies. you find us beneath our sombreros. We're brave and we'll stay so, we're bright as a peso. We say so, the Three Caballeros. 
The Three Caballeros was the second of six package films released by the Disney studio in the 1940s. Unlike a single narrative film like Pinocchio or Bambi, a package film is made up of multiple short segments that were only connected by a common theme or frame story. In the case of The Three Caballeros, the framing device is Donald Duck's birthday. As he opens the various presents sent to him by his friends in Latin America, the segments flow from one to the next. For example, the first gift Donald receives is a film projector, and he uses it, along with the audience, to watch two standalone cartoons. The shorts, titled The Cold-Blooded Penguin and The Flying Gauchito, both fit the film's South American themes, but otherwise have nothing to do with each other or with the rest of the movie. Once the film reel ends, Donald sets the projector aside, moves on to his next gift, and a new segment begins from there. Interspersed throughout the animation is live-action footage of Latin American countries, singers, and dancers. For instance, when Panchito arrives to give his gift, he takes Donald and Jose on a flying serape tour of real-life locations in Mexico, including Pazcuero, Veracruz, and Acapulco. There's also a sequence where Donald and Jose dance with Aurora Miranda, the sister of Hollywood star Carmen Miranda. In a running gag, Donald develops a hopeless and somewhat disturbing crush on Aurora, not to mention every other woman he crosses paths with in the movie. Aside from the title song, the film also features English-language versions of the popular bolero song You Belong to My Heart, as well as the famous Brazilian song Bahia. It was nominated for two Academy Awards that year, for Best Sound and Best Score, but it didn't win either. As you've probably guessed, the movie was a little outside the wheelhouse of the early Disney studio, which at the time had mostly looked to European fairy tales and American children's books for inspiration. That's because The Three Caballeros was produced, along with Saludos Amigos before it, as part of a so-called goodwill tour of Latin America that had been commissioned by the U.S. Department of State. In the early 1940s, after the country officially joined the fight in World War II, the U.S. military actually took control of Disney Studios for a time. The animators spent the next few years making training films and propaganda cartoons for the war effort, many of which ranged from hilarious to haunting. Around the same time, Walt and a few of his most trusted animators were asked to embark on a government-sponsored goodwill tour to countries such as Chile, Brazil, and Mexico. The goal was to use Walt Disney's celebrity to help discourage people in Central and South American countries from siding with the Axis powers. It's a somewhat insulting idea that the public needed to be plied with cartoons in order to not side with Nazi Germany, but the effort did at least bring some much-needed diversity to children's cartoons. Given the time period and the people involved in the project, there are a few moments that portray minorities in a disrespectful light by today's standards. 
But it's clear throughout that the filmmakers wanted to portray Central and South America as fun, vibrant, modern communities, and on that front, they succeed with flying colors. Another positive outcome of the experiment is that Jose and Panchito were big hits in their home countries. In Brazil, Jose went on to star in his own long-running comic series, where he's known more commonly as Zay, a more familiar form of the Portuguese name Jose. Panchito boasted similar popularity in Mexico, and the character was actually used as the mascot of the Mexican Esquadron 201 Fighter Squadron during World War II. He was commonly painted on the nose of their fighter planes. The movie itself was a modest success for the Disney studio upon its release, but it gained a cult following over the years, particularly for a few sequences that are borderline psychedelic. The last of the movie's segments is actually titled Donald's Surreal Reverie, and believe me, it lives up to the title. The Three Caballeros was re-released to theaters in 1977 to capitalize on its newfound notoriety, and its characters have gone on to appear in a number of high-profile projects since then. The band reunited in Disney's House of Mouse show in the early 2000s, and then again in the 2017 DuckTales reboot. The trio also star in their own boat ride at the Mexico Pavilion of the Epcot Theme Park in Florida. And in 2018, they headlined a one-season show of their own, called Legend of the Three Caballeros. The original movie may not be the most consistent or coherent film in the Disney canon, but it makes up for those shortcomings with its striking visuals, catchy music, and bold mix of live action and animation. Thanks to streaming, the movie is easier to watch than ever before. If you're in the mood for something fun, festive, and wholly original, the Three Caballeros definitely fits the bill. I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully you now know a little more about film history today than you did yesterday. You can learn even more about history by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can always send them my way at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thank you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! 
Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 